Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I am joined today by Mark Daly. He is a former foster dad. He is an author of an upcoming book called Safe, a memoir of fatherhood, foster care, and the risks we take for family. And thank you so much, Mark, for taking the time to chat today. Thank you so much for having me, Kathleen. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. So can you give us just a little bit of background about yourself and how you even came into the world of foster care? Absolutely. So, you know, I grew up in a family where I have three cousins that ended our family through foster care. And so, you know, when I was seven years old, a station wagon pulled up one day, my aunt was there with my new cousins and that was it, you know, and I think I, we're obviously very close. And so it was something that always kind of stood out to me. And then of course, being a gay man, you know, biology is not on our side when it comes time to having children. So we were looking at our options and we we really had considered surrogacy and we're kind of moving down that path, although we knew we were going to foster adopt at some point. Um, and then we sort of made a last minute decision to start with foster care. And then uh, we ended up with siblings and well, at that certain point, your house is too full. So that's where we, <laughs> that's where we went. Wow. Okay. So it's, it wasn't really first necessarily. And then all of a sudden that was kind of where you guys landed, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We had a friend who, we had a friend and I tell the story in the book, we had gone to breakfast with her and she had aged out of foster care and she was just, you know, one of those kids that's just school in life. You know, she's like in, you know, working on her master's degree and she's just, killing it. And we were having breakfast and she said to us and the breakfast she said, you know, someday I want to write a book about my life. You know, it was just, she's like, I was raised, you know, without my mom in my life. I was raised by women who were very maternal, but they always had biological children of their own. And I always felt like I didn't come first. And so as soon as we left the breakfast, my husband turned to me and said what we were both thinking, which was, you know, Hey, any kid raised by two parents or by two dads is not going to have a mom. And so, or at least one that's raising them, right? And so there was one thing that she said that really struck a chord with us. And then the other, of course, is that, you know, um, if we did surrogacy first, maybe that child would feel the same way. So we thought, well, let's do, you know, let's do foster care and see where it goes from there. And then we'll do surrogacy later. And then, of course, we had too many kids to do that. Yes, (laughs) as one does. (laughs) Exactly, right? Oh, my goodness. Okay. I'm speaking as a mom of four as well, who has a big, <laughs> yeah, a lot of activity at your house. similar experience, but a lot of activity. Correct. Um, okay. So you and your husband decide we're going to start foster care. What does that look like for you? You guys are in the state of California. Is that correct? We are. We live in Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. So what did that journey look like as you got started entering into becoming foster parents? So I had been doing some work as well with a nonprofit in the foster care space. And I felt like, you know, I kind of had this understanding of how it worked. Of course, you know, you really don't until you're living it, as you know, but it, you know, I, I just thought I had that. And so we sort of like skipped into foster parent classes, like we were, you know, the heroes of a, of a fairy tale, right? We thought that we were going to just come in and get the slam dunk case. There's a beautiful, healthy baby that's ready for adoption on day one. And that, of course, doesn't exist, as we all know. And so um, we were blindsided by that. Um, but, you know, we went, into, we went into our training and really just had our eyes open on so many different elements of what kids go through before they end up foster care, why they end up there. Um, and really, over time, as we got to know the families, that's when really even more of the book takes place. And it's about learning about what goes on in our neighborhoods and in our communities that 
forces families into these really difficult places. That's something that really happened for me too, as we entered the world of foster care. We, my husband's a teacher and I'm a social worker by trade, by training. And I, we, I thought like, we have a lot to learn, but we probably are like the best possible scenario equipped for coming in to like take care of, you know, kids from hard places. And Absolutely. we rolled up and like, holy moly, like I <laughs> got slapped in the face every single week in our training, figuratively speaking, from like the hard stuff that we heard and learned. And I was like, I am a social worker. Like, I, and this is like making me have bad dreams at night. Like what? But it was really cool because I feel like it really made me aware of the problems, like you said, that are there. But in my privilege, mm -hmm. I never had to enter into or become even more aware of. You're, you're so right. And I'm glad you used the term privilege because I actually say that in the book, too. I mean, we are, in addition to being men, we're white men. And we live in this world where when we walk into a room, people usually ask our opinion or, or listen to us when we're talking. And in foster care, oftentimes we felt like it was show up and shut up. You know, it was like, and as much as that we felt that way as foster parents, it was like so much more pronounced for the biological parents who were already going through all these challenges and then trying to reunite with their kids and your heart just breaks for them, you know? Totally. It is. Yeah. It's definitely a rude awakening and for sure for both sides. Um, yeah. What was your experience like with the biological family in terms of, you know, forming a bond with them? If, if you tried to do that, did it go well? Cause I know it's different for everybody. Yeah. You know, without, without giving away the ending to the book, I will tell you, you know, it was interesting. I think, you know, you go into this and you have sort of these ideas in your head of what is, what the situation is going to be like. And, you know, I'm of course, trying to get information from the social workers before we meet them just really as much out of being nosy as being curious and being concerned right I mean I think really it was concerned you know do I have to am I worried about these kids has something happened that I need to address do I need a specialist what is you know what can I do to make these kids lives better that being said I also want to know um you know what I'm walking into and what the situation what the likelihood of reunification is and so it was really interesting I, I mean we walked in and as soon as we met them, you know, they were very engaging and, you know, the mom hugged me and there was just so much gratitude that they were with us. And it just really was not the, what I expected at all. Um, and over time we had some bumps along the way and certainly, you know, our attitudes towards each other changed both back and forth, you know, throughout the process, but it, it's so much different when there is a living person and a family on the other end. Yeah. That's so true and such a good point. And as much as we are able to humanize, you know, and really get yeah. to know if possible that biological family, it's so, you know, good for the kids, good for us and good for good for everybody when it is, you know, possible. So, yeah, thanks for yeah. sharing that. Of course. Yes. How long were you guys foster parents? So we've actually we've we've fostered for about 18 months is what we had um, the boys for. And but we've been certified for a very long time. So we. Um, you know, it's, it's been, uh, we, we did, we do have children obviously that we've adopted. So it's, it's, it's longer than that, but the book focuses really on that 18 month window, okay. you know, with, with the kids itself. Okay. And so I'm, I'm curious because for so many times along our foster care journey, which is now over, um, we have closed that chapter of our family story, but, <laughs> um, I, I feel like there were so many times along the way where I was like, 
just indignant. Like I was like, what in the world? There's people making decisions about these kids and they don't even know them. They're like you said to, the, to my husband and I show up and shut up. Like your important, your opinion is the least important thing mm-hmm. that we care about. Like, and I'm like, we are taking care of these kids every day. Not that we should have more say than a biological parent, but we should have some say as the parent who's caring for them every day. So tell me what that was like for you. Oh, that was really, I mean, it's funny. It's um, a friend of mine who who's read the an advanced copy described it as, middle-class rage, what I was feeling. It was this idea that, you know, I mean, even like there was a day where we went into court and the mom had had another child. And so we're sitting in the court and this baby is a couple months old and the judge says, oh, who's this? And it dawns on me, the judge has no idea that there's a third child at play here. And the judge is about to decide whether or not these kids go home. Like it was just so like, it just seems so disjointed and disconnected. You know, I, um, and that happened so often in the book. The other thing is, or in our story, I should say, but the other thing I think too is, you know, you're 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 cautioned about like, well, you don't want to be too assertive because everybody knows that you'll adopt. And so they're going to think that you're trying to jeopardize reunification. And I mean, my heart was like, look, if, if we end up with these kids and they go back to a home where they can be safe, I'm going to be happy. I mean, I'm not going to be, it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to be hard, but ultimately I don't want to take someone's kids who's capable of caring for them. That was never my intent, you know? So um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. It is a lot. And I think that's really, it is for so many people. And I've, I've heard that a lot from different families who have fostered, but I'm curious for you, what about your specific journey did you decide this is a book that needs to be written? Like people need to know what's going on here. You know, I think that there's in, in my book, it is, there's a lot of the nuts and bolts, right. Of, of what happens in foster care. Like how does a kid get detained? A lot of that stuff is thrown in there. I've done a ton of research on it. I worked with, you know, academics and social workers and so on. That being said, it doesn't read like a textbook at all. Like it's, it's much more of a, a story. And I think at the heart of it, really what this comes down to in so many ways is the difficult situations and the difficult choices that families have to make. You know, the boys in our case entered because, you know, they were detained from their parents and the paternal grandfather, grandmother, who was a single mom, you know, a single woman had then got these two babies and she was not that healthy. She was running a small business. She had you know, how could she do this with a three-month-old and a 13-month-old? I mean, it was just, and so ultimately after about two weeks of trying to do this, she had to call the county and say, hey, look, I can't do this. And then pray that they ended up in a good home. And I just, you know, I think about like, she, there was no nothing she loved more than her grandbabies. And it just, it, what a difficult position for her to be in. You know, we ended up having a, a wonderful relationship with her throughout the whole time. But I think it's, um, there's that is sort of a theme that comes up over and over like these situations that families find themselves in it's you know sort of the risk we take and the you know for for love and for family absolutely and i like that that you decided to share that side of it because i think it is one that is very like polarizing amongst the foster care or community sometimes where you're like how you know, because you do get so attached, right? Like, and that's the point. You're supposed to get attached to these kids. You're supposed, and like, that's, if you're doing it right, that's what you do. You get to attach. But then there's the emotion on the other side where you're like, okay, so, so are these other people on the other side. These are their kids or their grandkids. And like you said, they're taking this huge risk and it's not necessarily one that they wanted to ever be faced with. So what, I mean, 
as a social worker myself too, I'm like, yeah, what can we do as a society to even like lessen the amount of kids entering foster care? Do you yeah. go into that at all in the book? Uh, you know, I do. Here's, I, I made the del- deliberate decision along the way that I am not a policy expert and, you know, nor do I work in these nonprofits where I have the like, what is, you know, what is the early interventions, the upstream things we could do to curb? That being said, like, it's very clear that those are working just based upon the numbers of kids who were entering in 30 years ago versus today. Right. I mean, the numbers have dropped so significantly and a lot in large part because we are employing all sorts of upstream interventions and they're working. And that's wonderful. That being said, we still need more. They need more support. They, you know, the truth is the folks that are losing their children to foster care tend to be some of the lower income folks out there. There's oftentimes substance abuse, mental health issues at play. And these are the the most difficult um, situations for people to talk about in our community and in our, in our country. And so until we're able to push the, push more conversations about mental health, addiction, and poverty, you know, this numbers are not going to go away. And, and obviously as much early intervention as possible, you know, we need more homes that allow parents to, you know, rehabilitation centers that allow them to bring their children with them, you know? Yeah. That's huge. Absolutely. So what was your hope and heart behind writing this then? If you're like, I want people to know our story. I want people to know some facts about what foster care actually is looking like currently in our country. What was your hope and goal with that? You know, I've been inspired by some really great books over the years, things like, you know, Just Mercy or, you know, The Sun to Shine or, you know, and I think that there are um, really some wonderful narratives that cast a big spotlight on the deeper issues at play, whether it's mass incarceration or death penalty or whatever it might be. And so I wanted to sort of, my goal was to hopefully do something similar. You know, sharing our story is is one story. You know, I always say it's like, it's as common as it is unique, right? I mean, every situation is different. Our trainer, and I, I say this in the book, it's like, you know, she said, if anyone ever writes the, the book on foster care, it'll be called It Depends because every child is different. Every parent is different. Every judge is different. Every social worker is different. Every case is different. There's so many different factors at play that you just don't know what's going to happen, you know? And I think that's really what comes up. And I want people to, to think about this and care about it. You know, um, there was a poll done, you know, a few months back by Foster Moore, a nonprofit that I do some work with. And it found out that like over 80% of Americans think that foster care is a high priority. But, you know, as soon as we start asking about other issues, the where does it rank sort of falls down and falls down. And I don't want it to fall down. You know, I want people to be in rooms, you know, when we're getting the, when we're asked by the local congressperson to put a yard sign on a front lawn or for a check that we say, what are you doing about foster care? Because when they hear it from people who vote and people who they're going to, they might actually do something. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's such a really, really good reminder. I think sometimes it can be discouraging just as someone I'm talking from my own perspective, who's not. I don't consider myself like super political. Like I try, I'm just yeah. like, ah, this just feels like a world that I just can't really be a part of or into. And I try to keep abreast of what's going on. But, um, but I think that that makes total sense that like we have a responsibility as those who are in the world of foster care as foster parents yeah. or social workers or whatever, where we can say, you know what, we can advocate and we can educate. And, you know, part of that is political and we can't like make ourselves yes. so apart from that, because if we really want to see things change, that has to be part of the plan. Yeah. And, you know, and the system fundamentally is designed to only share bad stories. I mean, if you, you know, because of privacy laws, which 
are a great thing. We need to protect everyone's privacy. I'm not saying anything counter to that. It's just that because of that, we don't hear about the kids who are graduating high school, who are going to college, who are applying for college loans at a higher level than their their non college you know, than their non foster care peers. That happened in California last year. Like, there's so many success stories that just don't get told because we're worried about privacy, and rightfully so. But you know, kids in foster care don't sign up to be there. They're not jumping up and down saying "pick me, pick me," right? I mean, these something bad has happened to that child. And it's all of our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It so is. And I think that this is another reason why this book is so important for so many people to read. And I intend to share it far and wide because I think <laughs> Thank you. We, we need to, you know, be having this conversation way more and not just with the people who are already have seen the need and are doing it, but we need more right. people. We need more people who care about reunification. We need more people to care about yeah. those upstream issues, but we need more people to come alongside those who are already foster parents and and the kids Absolutely. in the system and be like, Hey, what can we do right now today? It doesn't have to be foster care, but we can do something. You know, that was one of the things that really struck me during the, this whole experience is that, you know, the day the boys arrived, um, that's actually a really hilarious story. It was like the one day of the month that I had committed to work traveling. So I was speaking at Stanford and I had to like fly back and, you know, I was flying up in the morning. I flew back at night and I had, gotten it missed four texts or you know 30 texts whatever it was from my husband during the during my meetings and I came out and of course we you know I find out they're coming and then you know I, I he, they're already at the house for three hours before I can even get home and so um the next day we probably had 40 people show up at our house you know and of course the the social workers tell you like don't make it like Christmas but you know I mean forget it these kids had no idea I mean it was like all day of like going from arms to arms with, you know, new people showing up with gifts and toys. And, and that was like that throughout the entire time they were with us. We just have such a really strong, loving community of friends and family. But the, you know, on the flip side, that grandmother had no one else she could have called. And it just breaks my heart that there are people living out there like that. You know, I mean, maybe she could have kept them if she just had someone to give her respite to help her for a couple weekends or, you know, or a couple days during the week, who knows? I mean, there is, there is a role for everyone. Not everyone has to foster. Not, not everyone should foster, <laughs> but we need some, you know, and yes. that's really what I yeah. hope is that we have more people step up to do it. And then other people do, do whatever we can, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think that, yeah, we keep having the conversation more people get interested and involved. Then that's when things can really start to gain momentum and change for the better for kids and their families. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot we can all do. For sure. Yeah. So who do you feel like, like top priority? Who do you want this book? Who do you want to read this book? Like first and foremost? Well, Oprah, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's funny. It's, it's, um, it's, everyone keeps asking me, they're like, Oh, well, you know, as, as a gay man, your audience is probably gay people. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess, but it's also like the women who love us. Does that, I mean, it is, there's these women that are coming up to me that have read it so far that are like, look, you know, you remind me so much of my nephew or my son or my cousin or my, you know, whatever it might be. And I think, you know, there's so many of us out there now that are living our lives, you know, in ways that they weren't being lived when I was younger. And, you know, that's something I talk a lot about the book. I grew up in a working class neighborhood outside Boston. Um, I didn't know anyone who was gay, let alone two men who were married and living together and raising children the whole new world. And, you know, my husband and I represent that first generation of legally gay married men. Um, But 
you know, LGBT families are more likely to be fostering and more likely to have an adopted child in their home than non-LGBT families. Um, it's so important that we have that conversation. And I am thankful for your willingness to like share about that too, because I think, <laughs> yeah, it's something that we don't hear about a lot unless again, we know someone or we choose to enter into conversation with those who, who have, you know, are part absolutely. of that community. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's just, you know, it's, I, I think it's something that we need to see. And, you know, the other challenge with that too, is that there are, you know, three studies now that, that project about 30% of youth who are in foster care are members of the LGBT community or they're questioning their, their yeah. orientation, whatever it might be. And so, it's really important that we have affirming families that step up and, and support these children regardless yeah. of religious beliefs or whatever it might be. It's like, this kid yeah. needs to be safe and that's what matters. I love that so much. And if you don't mind my asking, what are some things that families can do if they're not a part of the LGBTQ community and that they want to be affirming to a kid in care who comes into their care and is maybe questioning or, or having those conversations, what can they do? What are some really important things that families can do to come alongside and love that kid and make them feel safe? You know, that's, that's a great question. I would say, honestly, you know, you don't have to be a member of the LGBT community to provide a loving, caring home, to provide a kid a sense of belonging and acceptance, which is really all we want is to belong just as humans in general. And I think that, um, you know, is, is really a wonderful thing. And truthfully, you know, I say this about gay marriage, you know, my background, I, I, I do come from a political background, but one of the things was I started one Iowa when I lived in Iowa, which is the gay marriage awareness campaign. And, you know, we knew that gay folks alone weren't going to get marriage on their own. They had to get it from other people who were allied and supportive. And that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day is we just need people caring about other people and treating yes. us fairly with equality. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Really quite cut and dry if you break it down to that level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty simple. It's not everyone needs to have a gay parent, that's for sure. You know? Caring about people. <laughs> but exactly. It would just be nice. Be kind. I love that. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. I laugh because as you say that, um, I'm from Ohio originally, and I live in Connecticut now outside of New York City, and I've been here for a long time. But when we first moved here... So many people were like, oh my gosh, oh, you're from the Midwest. That's why you're nice. And I was like, no, 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 no. everyone has a choice to be nice. Every single person has a kind heart that they can choose. Like, you mm -hmm. can do it too. Like, yeah. it doesn't have to be a thing. It is so funny. I, I do remember though, like being in Iowa for so long. And then I would go to like New York for a trip or something. And I was like trying to hail a cab. And I'd be like, no, 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 you take it. And all of a sudden I realized like I've given away 30 cabs. And like the, the Boston in me is going crazy. You know, it's yeah. just, it's, but yeah. So I, I but I, I agree with you. It is a choice to be nice. <laughs> yes. And anyone, yeah. So I think, because I think I, I'm curious about if there are some parents who, um, and I'm working with some right now in my group coaching program who are just about to get their first foster placement. Some of them are going to be fostering teens. And so there is a possibility, right? That they could have a teen who is in that community or questioning. And I feel like perhaps if you, you know, aren't familiar or don't know anyone, you know what I mean? Like you might be like, oh my gosh, yeah. like I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, but I think like at the end of the day, I love how you broke it down. Like just affirming, kind, caring, yeah. loving, you know? That's it. It doesn't have it really to be this is. big like thing that you're an expert on. No, it's I, I totally agree. I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, I think there's, you know, and and 
people do their own research on this stuff too. I, I don't have teens yet. Thank God I'm horrified of the teenage years, but I, you know, I'm sure it'll be cake, right? I mean, how hard can it be? Right. Right? It's going to be amazing. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> but yeah, no, but I, I think everyone just has to, you know, do, just do your part to make the kids feel like they belong, you know? Yeah. That's it. Absolutely. Cool. They've already well, been through you... enough. What is it? Oh yeah, for sure. Goodness gracious. If you had like one piece of advice for someone who's considering foster care, who's like, hush, this is starting to make me think um, I want to do something. I, I maybe want to be a foster parent. What would you say to them? I, honestly, I tell everyone that I'm like, I would hate for anyone to go into this without their eyes wide open. You know, and I think that the biggest thing is to do your research, to talk to the agency that you're you're going with and make sure that you're prepared really emotionally for it is I think, you know, because the truth is at the end of the day, like these kids need people to, you know, who, who can meet them where they are and be supportive and help. And, um, you know, sometimes we let our own egos get in the way. And I think, you know, it's easier. So it's like, you just have to be there and really do the, be, be sure that you're doing this for the right reasons and that you, you're, you have it in you. And if not become a mentor, we need mentors. Yeah. You know, write a check. Every nonprofit needs a check. Seriously. (laughs) Yes, I know. I know. I always tell people like, okay, so like voting is like one thing we can do, but everyone, if you care enough to like make this like your issue that you're going to be all about, then we also need to be doing things with our time and our money with this issue as well. Like we need to be really (laughs) diving in from every angle if possible. Exactly. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. Well, I am so excited for this book to come out. It has not come out yet as the time of this conversation, but it's soon, right? When is it coming out and where can we find It'll, it? Well, you can get it anywhere books are sold. Amazon to bookshop to your local bookstores, uh, Barnes & Noble, whatever it might be. It is out, it's available now for pre-order. So please pre-order. Um, but it will be it'll be shipped uh, in, in stores on January 30th, which is Tuesday. Amazing. Well, it looks so good. The little sneak preview that I got, I'm so excited to read the whole thing and share it with everyone. So I'll make sure to link it up in the show description when this episode goes live. And thank you so much again, Mark, for your time and for taking the time to write this book and for your yes and for your husband's yes. Like we're just so (laughs) grateful for everything that you've done for the foster care community. Kathleen, thank you so much. And I'm so grateful for everything you were doing. I really appreciate it.